welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. I remember very clearly a conversation that Melissa and I had, my wife, Melissa, and I had about 13 years ago. I remember where we were sitting in the dining room table. I remember the paint on the wall and the, the china hutch right there. It just burned in my mind. Um, we were just talking about our life. We were discussing kind of our marriage. We were talking about our job and, and the church and the town and, and uh, discussing a little bit about what our future family would look like. And, and, and the topic came up that we'd kind of been, you know, pressing on for the last couple of months and weeks is with kids and when are we going to start having kids when are we going to start having a family and so um, we kind of took stock of our situation we were thinking about you know our financial situation still had uh, quite a bit of school debt that we had to pay off and still struggling to find my footing in ministry and it hadn't been all that long since our last embarrassing fight come on married couples you know what I'm talking about Anybody? Man, nobody responded in the first service. We got one over here. So this is what I talk about. Um, Like, we all have fights. We all have arguments. And then we have those moments where we have an embarrassing fight. We're like, we look at how we acted and behaved, and we're like, oh, man, that was was embarrassing. And so it hadn't been too long since our last embarrassing fight. And we're looking around like, man, is this a good time? Like, is this a good environment to bring kids in? On the other hand, um, we had two empty rooms in our house. And it was kind of time to fill them up. So, so you, know, you know how tough that decision was. Like, we had to figure this out. And so we're talking about this. Um, we knew that this was going to be one of the biggest decisions we were going to make. We wanted to make sure we got it right. We wanted to make sure the timing was right. And so back and forth, we went in this conversation. Why it's the right time. Why it's the wrong time. Why it's the right environment. Why it's, the, it's a, a bad environment. Just back and forth and back and forth. And, and so finally we get to that place in the argument that all married couples have where we say, well, what do you think? Well, I know what I think. I just want to know what you think. Well, don't worry about what I think. Just tell me what you think. Before I tell you what I think, I want to know what you think. And it's just this, like, man, nobody's wanting to say anything. We're just having a really hard time to make this decision. And so, um, you know, we, we both wanted kids, but we just didn't know. And so, so I, I proposed a solution. I said, you know what? Maybe we should just play rock, paper, scissors for it. <clears throat> And so, so Melissa said, okay. And so we sitting across the table at each other. We, you know, we held up the hands and we went rock, paper, scissors, shoot. And, um, and we did it. And then we looked at each other and we were like, what does that mean? Because nobody had determined who was the baby and who was weight. And so we hadn't established those rules. And so we're like, I don't know. So we have to choose. And so I don't remember who chose the baby and who chose not because we were both, you know, kind of wanted. We just didn't know what time it was. And, and um, so, so I, I think I was actually for the baby and um, so we did one, two, three, and rock, paper, scissors, and did it again, and, and the baby person won, whoever it was, if it was me or Melissa, and, you know, the rest is history. 13 years and five kids later, I, I think about it, and that may have been the last quiet conversation that ever happened around our dinner table, because <laughs> there's, there's no, nothing quiet about it now. Now, I, I want you to know that I'm not recommending the rock, paper, scissors method of decision-making, but... I I do think that it helps illustrate the point that making decisions can be really, really hard. Yes? Making big, life-changing decisions is scary. It's hard. It's intimidating. And we don't love doing it. Throughout the course of your life, you will encounter maybe five to six 
major decision points. These are decisions that are going to radically alter the trajectory of your life, of your future, of your legacy. These are going to be the things that are going to define you. Major, major decision points. Um, one major decision point is who you're going to marry. This is a big deal, yes? Who you are going to marry, who you're going to spend the rest of your life with is a major decision point. What you're going to commit, what you're going to give your life to, not who you're going to give your life to, but what you are going to give your life to is a major decision point. Are you going to give your life to your career? Are you going to give your life to your country? Are you going to give your life to your family? Are you going to give your life to the kingdom? What are you going to give your life to? This is a major, major decision point in your life. Um, where you're going to live. Maybe not a major decision point. Maybe, you know, maybe God is, is calling you to a different place for a different time and a different season, but you still have to choose. And, and where you choose to live can have some consequences, sometimes good consequences, sometimes bad consequences, but, but there are effects of where you choose to live, where you choose to put your family and plant your family. Those are some decision points. One of the, the most important decision point in your life, I believe, is the role that Jesus is going to play in your life. It's a major decision point. Too many times we, we look at this as something very small, something very casual, something that maybe affects, you know, just a, a small one-seventh of our week, you know, just a small portion of our life. But this, the role that Jesus is going to have in your life is the most important decision point that you will ever, ever make. These decision points. So over the course of the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to be in this series that we're calling Decision Points. And, and our goal through these messages is to create a little bit of a grid so that we can view our major decisions through the lens of Scripture and be sensitive to what the Lord is saying to us through some of these very, very difficult decisions. So I want you to think just real quick, some of the weekly decisions that you have to make. These aren't major life-changing decision points, but, but choices that we have to make all the time. Many of you had to make a choice about what to wear when you came to church this morning, because you know, like, like the Sunday attire is always like a difficult choice, right? Some of you just wear the same thing every week, and that's fine. It's real easy for you. But others of you, you like, you, you set your, your clothes out and, you know, Maybe depending on if you're the, the wife or the husband, maybe, maybe you set his clothes out for him too. Come on, some of us need a little bit of help in that. And then you wake up in the morning and you're like putting this on. You're like, oh, nope, this doesn't fit so well. And so you put it off and you're like, this, this looks weird today. I don't know. It looked fine last night, but this morning it looked weird. Has that ever happened to anybody? Like, like you, you put it on, you're like, nope, not today. And so you're trying to make all these decisions because you, you want to look good, right? You want to come into service, you want to look good, so you're making all of these decisions. So you have to, the clothes you wear, you have to decide whether or not to hit the snooze button and how many times you're going to hit the snooze button, right? Sometimes you make the very, very risky decision of hitting the off button but then closing your eyes for a couple more seconds. It's a risky decision. Some of you do that, but you have to make those Decisions. You have, to, you have to decide whether or not you're going to hit the gym or the couch. Which one is it? The gym or the couch? You have to decide whether you're going to eat cake or kale. Not a hard decision, but, but still a decision that you have to make. You know, maybe you're going around and you're, you're trying to decide what furniture to buy. 
or you, you go to one of those gigantic stores like Nebraska Furniture Mart, and, and there are just thousands of options. And it's super hard to make this decision, not because it's life-altering or it's going to uh, like affect your eternity or anything like that, but it's really hard because there's, there's so many options. And so you just kind of get lost in all of the options. You're like, man, this is really, really hard. I can't decide between this one or 5,000 other pieces. Like, what am I supposed to do? We have decisions that we face every day. Every day. And then some bigger ones. We have to decide, you know, which school our kids are going to be a part of, which sports teams they're going to be involved in. Are they going to travel? Are they not? We have to decide, um, are, are, are they going to attend church or play? Are they going to attend church or detassel? Right? Like I said, Abram, he's detasseling for the very first time. And uh, two weeks ago, Sunday, um, well, Saturday night, I was having a conversation with him. I said, hey, buddy. You know, work tomorrow. Uh, we have to decide what, what you're going to do. And <clears throat> we were kind of asking him what his thoughts are. I said, buddy, do you want to go to church or do you want to uh, detassel, go, go to work and detassel? Like not letting him choose, but trying to see where he's at. He says, you know what, Dad? I think I'll go to church. And man, as a pastor and a dad, I'm so proud of him because he takes serious his spiritual growth and, you know, going to honor Jesus and honor the King and making a commitment to the Lord and stuff like that. And then as I was talking to him a little bit more, I, I began to waffle and wonder, is he really wanting to go to church to honor God or does he just not want to go to work tomorrow? I wasn't sure, but I'm going to take it as he loves Jesus so much that he's going to honor him and everything. And so, but we have those decisions. And as parents, what are we going to let them decide? We have to make a decision to figure out what kind of decisions we're going to let our kids make. We have to decide what kind of TV shows and movies we are going to allow in our home. And, and listen, I think this is so important as a believer. If you are a believer, if you are a Christian in this place, you have to make an intentional decision about the kind of entertainment that you are going to allow in your home. Don't ever just let the precedent or the standard be, well, it looks interesting. Set some standards. Don't be accidental about the media, the TV, the movies, the Netflix programs that you let in. Don't be accidental. Be intentional. Make that decision about the kind of media and entertainment you are going to consume as a family. We don't think about this enough, but we have to decide on this. We have to decide the church that we're going to attend. We have to decide whether or not we're going to get involved. We have to decide almost daily if we're going to show up to work early or on time or late. We have to decide what we're going to do with our money. We have to decide what kind of friendships we're going to keep and cultivate. We have to decide all of these things. Then there are lots of decisions and it can get really, really exhausting. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25 there's a conversation that Jesus is having that says one day an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Because a lot of times that the, the religious people would, would gather around Jesus and they would try to stump him. They'd try to mess him up or, or catch him in a lie. It was kind of the, the, the early version of the gotcha journalism. And uh, so they were asking Jesus to test him. And he says, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Um, what do I have to do to make it to heaven? What do I have to do to experience paradise? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? So in, in essence, Jesus kind of 
responded to his question with a question. He said, well, you've read the Old Testament. You've read the Pentateuch. You've read the scriptures. You've read what Moses said. Like, you tell me what you think it says. What, how have you interpreted this? Through your study, you religious expert, what do you think this means? Like, what are you preaching? What are you teaching to people? And the man answered, verse 27, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, Jesus says, you got it. Yes, that's exactly right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. And so though this man is trying to trip Jesus up, what he speaks is so true that Jesus doesn't really add anything to it. He says, got it, go do it. Yes, you are right. Love God like this. Love your neighbor like this. Yes, go and do it. But for the sake of our conversation here this morning, there's one portion of one sentence of one verse that I want us to consider here today. It's this portion. It says, love the Lord your God with all your mind. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. Now, we've done series on this. We've done sermons on this where we break this down, heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I don't want to do that this morning. I just want to focus on this one area. Love the Lord with all your mind. Most of the time when we read this, or if we're ever in a group where we're asking for like, what do you think this means? We'll say things like, well, to love the Lord with all your mind, we think it means, um, you know, read scripture, study scripture, study theology, um, those, courts, those sorts of things. To, to love the Lord with all your mind is to, is to fill your head with knowledge, to learn big, like, religious Words like eschatology and ecclesiology and propitiation and substitutionary atonement. And, and if you know all of those words and you can pronounce them correctly, and more importantly, if you can use them appropriately in a sentence, then you've got it, man. You have learned to love the Lord your God with all your mind. And if you read books that are really hard to read, then you're loving the Lord God with all your mind, those sorts of things. And we think that's kind of what it means, and for sure that's part of it. Reading scripture is absolutely important. Don't get me wrong. Don't, I'm not saying that it's not. And, and knowing theology is, is very important. But I think there's an application point to this portion of scripture that's more practical, it's more immediate, and it's, and it's far more simple. It's not, gonna, it's not going to force us to create a ton of hype, but it's very, very applicable to every day of our life. I believe that loving God with all of our mind not only applies to all of that, but also it applies to the thoughts that we think and the choices that we make. The choices we make, the thoughts that we think, is loving God with all of our mind. Think about this for a second. Very practically, every single story that we read in Scripture has, at its very base, a decision point, doesn't it? Every single story that we read has a decision. Somewhere along the way, someone had to make a decision. They had to decide whether to do good or to do bad or to do nothing. They had to decide whether to follow God, whether to run from God, or whether to stand still. They had to make a decision. Think about this for a second. All the way back in Genesis, Adam and Eve decided to take a bite of the fruit that God told them not to. 
They made a decision. This didn't happen by accident. They weren't walking along naked and unashamed one day and trip and fall and stumble and their mouth latched on to the, to the fruit. It wasn't an accident. They decided to listen to the serpent and take a bite of the fruit. Peter, when he was in the boat and, and they saw Jesus walking on water and they were freaking out because they thought it was a ghost. And Jesus is like, hey guys, relax, it's just me, just out here chilling, walking on the water. And Peter is like, no way, if that's you, Jesus, then call me to come to you. And Jesus is like, all right, come, come on, man, let's see it. And Peter decided, he had to make a decision whether to stay in the boat where it was safe or, or step out of the boat and walk on the water. He made a choice. It was a decision. Think of Judas. Judas decided to betray Jesus with a kiss. It was a choice. Matthew 26, verse 14 says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priests and asked him this, How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And this statement is just dripping with immaturity. This statement reminds me of about 20, no, like 90% of the conversations that I have with my kids at my house. Because almost every, every conversation is something like this. Dad, how much will you pay me to? Or, Dad, do you dare me to? And then that's what it is all the time. Will you pay me to? Will you dare me to? It's like, it's like they'll find a worm, right? Dad, how much will you pay me to eat this? Right? And, and usually what happens in those kinds of conversations, and you've had these conversations before at your home, it's like they'll find a worm. Dad, how much will you pay me to eat this? Very immature conversation, but still... A lot of fun, right? How much will you pay me to eat this? And the mom usually says, no, put that down. Are you kidding me? That's disgusting. You're going to get sick. Don't do that. Don't touch that. Put that down. And dad says, five bucks. <laughs> right? Come on, right? Right? And then it turns into like this process. Now I have to make a decision, right? Like, uh, ten? Four. Okay, five. Okay, five. All right, I'm going to do it. And you want to put them in that process where they have to make a decision. But it just reeks of immaturity. How much will you pay me to? And this is what Judas says to the leading priest. How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. And in that moment, Judas has to make a decision, doesn't he? Am I going to actually betray Jesus, this person I've spent the last three years with? I've seen him do amazing things. Am I actually going to betray him? And then he has to decide, is this enough money? Did they give me enough? Do I need more? Like he has some decisions to make. Verse 16 reveals his choice. It says, from that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. So he decided, I'm going to betray Jesus. Then he had to begin to plan and scheme and look for the, the right time to go through with this betrayal. It wasn't an accident. He made a choice. Think of David. David made the decision to go out and fight a giant with just a rock and a sling. He made a decision. Years later, David was on top of his palace. He looks down. He sees a woman taking a bath. He's like, wow, she's looking pretty good. He makes a choice to send somebody to go get her, bring him to his palace, finds out she was married, and then he makes a decision to have sex with this married woman. Listen, nobody ever stumbles into an affair. Nobody ever accidentally has an affair. 
It's a choice after choice after choice. It's a decision. David later decided to have her husband murdered. He made a choice. And he, he goes on to repent and, and um, get right with the Lord again. But, but it reveals that in all of this, we have a choice. Think of, think of some of the other stories. A young boy decides to give his lunch to Jesus. And as a result, Jesus feeds 5,000 men. Daniel decides to keep praying to God when a decree went out that said you couldn't pray to anybody except Nebuchadnezzar on the threat of getting thrown into the lion's den. But Daniel made a choice. He decided to drop down on his knees three times a day and pray to God, even knowing that it would result in the lion's den. And, and as a result of that decision, Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, but the Lord showed up, closed the lion's mouth, and saved Daniel in the process. Abraham decided to leave his home country. If you remember our Ruth series from a couple of months ago, Elimelech decided to leave Bethlehem and moved to Moab and it had disastrous results. On the other hand, Ruth decided to leave Moab and go to Bethlehem and it resulted in a divine eternal legacy. Every one of these has at its base a decision. In the book of Acts, the believers decided to stay in Jerusalem until the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit showed up and they were all filled with the power of the Holy Ghost and thousands of people were added to the church on that very first day. Esau in the Old Testament decided to sell his birthright and Jesus decided, he made the decision to endure the horrors of the cross so that we could experience salvation. Sometimes when we look at the cross, we think that, yeah, they got him, they killed him, they captured him, and they tortured him, and they hurt him. But we have to know that this was Jesus' decision. He had a choice in the matter. Like Jesus could have taken him out, and he proved it in the garden. When, when the soldiers came up to him and said, we're looking for Jesus, he said, that's me. And Scripture says when he said, I am he, they fell back aggressively. All the soldiers fell back like they'd been hit with a gigantic wave. Just proof that Jesus is making this decision. Nobody's capturing him. He's deciding. Matthew chapter 26 verse 53 says Jesus is talking about this. This is Jesus' words when he's talking about all of this, the cross and what's coming. He says, don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? But if I did that... How would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? He's saying, you don't get it. You don't realize that I have access to the power of God in a way that you have never even dreamed. In a moment, if I decided I could call my, my heavenly father, I could pray out to him, he would send thousands of angels and they would come in and they would destroy and he would, he would release me from this and, and, and we would just take a different route and do a different plan and, and the plan of redemption would, would go unfulfilled, but, but that was fine because God could still be God and, and do whatever he wants. And Jesus says, I could do that. I have access to that. But I'm making a decision to submit my body to the bloody Roman cross so that lost people would have an opportunity to find salvation in me. And if I don't make that decision, Scripture can't be fulfilled. Jesus makes a choice. At the core of all these stories was someone making a major decision. And though it may be that we only have a handful of major decision points in our life, the, the true course of our life is made up of thousands of decisions that we make every single day. 
And I would suggest that the decisions that you make that no one sees are far more important than the decisions that you make that everyone sees. Craig Rochelle says it like this. He says, the decisions we make today will determine the stories we tell tomorrow. There may come a time where people look at you and think, wow, you've made like two or three really great, really big decisions. But in your mind, you're thinking, no, that's not true. Because you know that you've been making hundreds of really small, faithful, behind-the-scenes decisions every single day of your life. And that's what determines the real course of your future. So I think it's vitally important that we get this right. The problem, however, is that we aren't great decision makers. We don't like to make decisions. And, and too many times we make permanent decisions based on temporary circumstances and emotions. And so we often get this wrong. So what I want to do with the remainder of our time here this morning is before we consider some of the major decision points in our lives, I, I want us to look at how to make really good decisions every single day. So I'm gonna give you some, some things, some steps, some keys, you can call them whatever you want to think about. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. The first one is this. Make the decision to make a decision. Make the decision to make a decision. There are certain areas in your life that you've been on the fence for far too long. There, there are areas in my life where, where I've been on the fence for far too long. And I've heard this said, that procrastination is the number one enemy of progress. Procrastination is the number one enemy of progress. At some point, you are going to have to look at your life, take stock of your situation, and make a decision that today I'm going to make a decision. I was reading a book a while back, and there was a pastor, and, and, and he says, we as leaders, we as people have to learn to eat the frog. You have to learn to eat the frog. And he says, what happens is, is in, in any area of your life, if you're a, a leader or, or you know, a pastor or a parent or just whatever you are, there are things that come across your, your desk. It may be a physical desk or, or like a, a, an abstract desk, but it comes across your desk and you have to make a choice. Maybe it's a, a phone call you have to make. It's a conversation you have to have, a major decision. And, and you just, you're not wanting to go there. And so you put that sticky note on your desk and it's there. You know it's there, but you fill your desk and you fill your life with a thousand other things to distract you from this thing. But this decision is not going away. It sits there at your desk and he says it croaks at you every day. It's just croaking at you and you're doing your best to try to ignore this thing and, and eventually you get back to this and what he says is he says as leaders you have to learn to eat the frog. You can't let those things sit at your desk and croak at you for days, weeks, months, and years. You have to make the decision to make a decision. Go and address those things that you have been putting off for far too long. You see, if you wait until you're 100% sure before you decide, chances are it's probably too late. And this applies across the board. It applies if you're, if you're talking about God, if you're talking about the girl, if you're talking about the job. If you wait till you are 100% sure to decide, it's probably too late. Some of you are here this morning and you're on the fence when it comes to your faith. You're on the fence when it comes to God. You're like, you know, you know I don't know about all this stuff. I mean, it's, it, it's good and all, but, but I just don't know. Some of you, you have one foot like, like 
in, in, in Christianity, like where God is, and then you have the other foot, like in that past life where, where, where there are some things that are going on that you know that, that aren't good for you and don't belong in there. And, and you're trying your best to sort of maintain this, this balance between, you know, kind of this portion of Christianity that you're, you're comfortable with and, and this, this portion of your life that you're comfortable with. And, and it's got you really off-centered because it's hard to, to walk that fence. At some point, you're going to have to make a choice. You, you can't keep doing both. I love what jo- Joshua says in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. He says, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. He's saying, look, if you're going to follow the Lord, follow the Lord in sincerity. Follow him in truth. Follow him in faithfulness. Like, like don't just go through the motions. Like, don't just say you're a believer and not act like and live like a believer. This isn't just Sunday morning Christianity. If you're going to follow the Lord, follow the Lord. He says, put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. He's saying, if you have to make a choice, this is the best choice. Verse 15, he follows it up. He says, and, look, I know there's options out there. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, to serve Almighty God, if if you feel like that's a bad choice, if you feel like there's a better way, if you feel like it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then Choose this day whom you're going to serve. He's essentially telling them, stop playing games. Stop straddling the fence. Stop trying to live in both worlds. Choose today who you're going to serve. If you're going to serve the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, then do that. Or the gods of the Amorites, then do that. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You need to make the decision to make a decision. Choose today. The cost of indecision is too great. We can't just keep kicking these decisions down the road, kicking these decisions down the road, and not experience any consequences. There are choices that we have to make, and we have to make them now. Some of you are on the fence when it comes to your personal relationship. Maybe you're dating somebody and you just don't know. It's hard to make a decision. Maybe you're living together. You know it's time to make a decision, but you don't really want to make the decision because it's scary and decisions are hard and and it could have consequences either way. It's just hard to make a decision. You're on the fence. You don't know what to do. Man, it's time to make a decision. You know, either marry him or move out. Marry her or move on. It's it's time to make a decision. Some of you are on the fence when it comes to your career. You feel like, you know, you your your job is fine and it's paying the bills, but you you feel like you would enjoy more or you would be better at something else. Your heart is somewhere else. You're dreaming about the opportunity to do something else, but you're but you're here working and you're faithful and you're showing up, but 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 you're not really giving it your all because your mind, your heart is something here. Maybe God put a dream in your heart, and boy, you would love to do that, but the risk is too great to leave this to go do that, and, and you really just don't know. And right now you're miserable because you're kind of living in both worlds. Maybe today the Holy Spirit would say to you, it's time to make a decision. Make the decision to make a decision. Number two, make the decision to make daily decisions. Listen, I think it's so important that we know this, being a believer in 2017, that there's no such thing as autopilot Christianity. it's It's just not real. We don't get to punch in the coordinates to heaven and then just sit back and end up there. We have to make a daily choice. We will either make daily intentional decisions to follow Christ or we'll drift away. Those are the options. The current never flows towards the cross. 
The current will always pull us away from the cross, always pull us away from Jesus. And that doesn't matter what your profession, where you're at, the current will always pull you away from Jesus. Like a lot of times people think, well, because you're a pastor, the current is is pulling you towards Jesus and you don't have to do much to end up close to the cross. That is not true at all. I have to make a daily decision to put God first. In fact, I think oftentimes the enemy pulls so hard at those who are in spiritual leadership. He is so aggressively trying to rip us away from God's call and God's plan for our life because he knows that if he can, if he can derail spiritual leaders, it's going to have massive effect. And I'm not propping myself up or putting myself on that level or anything. That's just the reality of, of spiritual leadership. And, and if the enemy can pull us away from the cross, then he's won. And so pastors, Christians, even if you're in those small groups or, or, or teachers or, or you have a good group of Christian friends, if you allow yourself to drift, even in those groups, you are going to drift away from God, not closer to him. You have to make the decision to make a daily decision. There's just too much in this world that is pulling us away. Every day, every choice either makes us more like Jesus or more like something else. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He said, I would much rather say that every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different than, from what it was before. He's saying that every decision you make changes you. And taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. He suggests that every choice you make will make you look more like Jesus or more like the devil. So pay attention and be intentional about every single one. Make the decision that today I'm not going to drift. Today I'm not going to coast. Today I'm not just going to go through the motions. Today I'm going to choose. Today I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. And I'm going to choose to follow Jesus if I'm following him with a lot of people or all by myself. I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. I'm going to choose to follow Jesus if it costs me or I'm going to choose to follow Jesus if there's all sorts of blessings that follow me. But I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. Today I'm going to choose to love my wife. I'm going to choose to love my wife when she is being sweet and kind and lovely, and I'm going to choose to follow my wife when she's being difficult, amen? But I'm gonna choose. Today I'm gonna choose to follow my husband when he's being romantic and he's driving me under the canopy and, and when he's letting me off so that I stay dry, and I'm going to choose to follow him when he acts or choose to love him when he acts like an idiot, but I'm making a choice to follow him, to love him. <laughs> Make a choice. I'm gonna choose to engage with my kids, I have decided to engage with my kids to make sure that they know that I'm there for them, that they know that I love them, that they know that I would do anything for them. And every night that they go to bed, they are going to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am their dad and I love them and I choose them over and over and over again. And when they, they go to bed because they're in trouble, I'm gonna go in later and let them know, look, even though you're in trouble, even though you got you know, disciplined or whatever, I still love you and I still believe in you and I'm so proud of you. Engage, we have to make a decision to engage with our families. I'm gonna choose to honor the king. I'm gonna choose to serve Jesus. We have to make those decisions. Today, I'm gonna be a man of integrity. I choose to be a man of integrity. Today, I choose to be a woman of character. Today, I choose to be a parent of love and a friend of peace. Then, we have to choose it again tomorrow and then the next day and then the next day and then the next day and then the next day. Refuse to coast. Make the decision to make a daily decision.
Number three, make the decision to avoid decision fatigue. I came across this study. It was a New York Times study. And um, what they looked at, they looked at um, a small panel of three people made 1,100 parole decisions. So they had to choose whether or not to grant people parole or deny them parole. And it was the same three people that made all 1,100 decisions. And and what the study found is that they gave a third of the people parole. And this is what they found. The prisoners who appeared before the panel early in the morning received parole 70% of the time. So if your parole hearing was at 7.30, 8.30, you know, early in the morning, you had a 70% chance that you were going to receive parole, right? And these were all based on similar circumstances. Uh, on the flip side, if, you, if your parole hearing happened later in the day, there was only a 10% chance that you were going to get parole. Why is that? Because the panel got tired. They got tired of making decisions. They, they got tired of hearing excuses. They were worn out by the end of the day, and it's so much easier to say no when there is decision fatigue involved. There's an emotional and physical toll when you're forced to make decision after decision. If you're ever in a circumstance where you are forced into this, like you have to make all the decisions or a lot of decisions, you know how exhausting it can be. And and it's just a different kind of tired. It's a mental fatigue that's very, very real. Maybe your job requires it. Maybe you're building a house and, and you have to decide on the carpet and the color and the, and the pitch and the, and the garage and, and the landscape and you have to make a thousand decisions and at the end of the process, you're just like, man, I'm wiped out. I'm fried. I, I, I have nothing left in me. The more choices you make through the day, the harder each one becomes for your brain and eventually it looks for shortcuts. And the study says that, that there are two major shortcuts that your brain looks for. Number one is that it becomes rest, reckless. You begin to act more impulsively. You don't exert the mental energy to think through the consequences. This is why at the end of the day, um, we are prone to make far worse decisions than we did earlier in the day. And this this runs the gamut of, of things like food, right? At the end of the day, you're prone to make far worse decisions than you did earlier in the day when it comes to food. Like, man, I'm tired. I'm getting ready to go to bed. Ice cream sounds good. Let's do ice cream before we go to bed. How many of you made that choice this week, right? How many of you made the choice to hide it from your kids before you did it? Come on. like we make those choices and then after ice cream it's like man that didn't really satisfy I need something salty let's do like half a bag of chips right and so we make those decisions and we don't think through all of the consequences at the end of the day and this this runs through everything like lust and and in affairs and pornography at the end of the day we're far more likely as a result of decision fatigue to make poor choices with alcohol think about this think about late night infomercials There's a reason that those infomercials happen from 1 to 4 o'clock in the morning because you are mentally tired. Decision fatigue has set in and you're not thinking straight. Their whole um, strategy relies on the fact that you are tired and that you need some sort of magic juicer that squeezes all of the juice out of your cucumbers so that you'll be skinny in two weeks. Sounds good, let's do it, right? And then the next day, like you look at your bill and you're like, what was I thinking? Usually those what was I thinking moments happen late at night. What? And the second shortcut, it's the ultimate energy saver, is just to absolutely do nothing. You just refuse to make a decision. You just don't make one at all, which creates bigger problems down the road. But it eases the mental strain for a moment. We get tired. We have a hard time making decisions. And sometimes we, we just have to come to the point where we walk away and we say, I'm not going to do this anymore. 
Avoid decision fatigue. Make decisions early. Invite other people into the process. Let others decide whenever possible. And, and, and most importantly, wait on the Lord. Learn to wait on the Lord. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 says, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. And usually we look at that and we say, like, man, if I wait on the Lord, I'm going to be stronger. I'm going to be physically stronger. But I think more than that, it makes us mentally strong. When we learn to wait on the Lord, we become mentally strong. We make better decisions, better choices. Number four, last one. Make the decision to find spiritual direction before you make a decision. Make a decision to find spiritual direction before you make a decision. In last week's sermon, I mentioned that sometimes Jesus won't give you a miracle. He'll give you a direction. I preached it. I believed it. I understood it. But I had a conversation with Melissa afterwards, and, and it, it brought a ton of clarity with what she was saying to me. We all have those moments in our lives, often daily, when we kind of feel like we're supposed to do something. You know what I mean? We just kind of feel like maybe we should something, or maybe, you know, like, ah, boy, it would be good if I did this. And, and those moments where we kind of just feel like we should, we often don't because we are too busy, we ignore it, we, we feel like, ah, oh, maybe that, I, that'd be silly if I did, you know, stupid, dumb thought. But, but those moments where we kind of feel like we should, and, and I believe that those I kind of feel like I should moments are often the prompting of the Holy Spirit directing our decision making and our steps in our life, that God is actually giving you spiritual direction through those you kind of feel like you should moments. And I want to give you a little bit of, practical, of a practical challenge here. Before you leave the sanctuary today, at some point, pull out your phone, open up that notes app, and at the top of it, write direction. And then over the course of the next few weeks, keep a list of every time you feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to do something. Every time you feel like those, I kind of feel like I should moments. What you're going to realize is that God is actually leading you, actually directing your steps. And, and what's going to happen is you, you are going to have the confidence to move forward and make a decision, not just based on the hope that, that you, you maybe get it right, but based on the fact that you have faith that you are actually doing something that God wants you to do. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9 says, The heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. God is speaking. The Holy Spirit is directing Make the decision to listen to him before making a decision. And I want you to know something, that the Holy Spirit has an opinion on every single decision that you make. And that's even downplaying it. It's, it's not even an opinion because that infers that it might be wrong. The Holy Spirit has direction on every decision that you make. Stand your feet all across this place. I'm going to pray for you and then we're going to go. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. It's so important that we get this right. Imagine if the church began to live like this. Imagine what our homes would look like, our marriages, our families, our finances. If we moved just beyond head knowledge and being okay with that and began to love the Lord our God with the way we thought and what we decided on a daily basis. What if we loved God with our decisions? Boy, that's where it all starts, doesn't it? We have to decide 
to surrender our life to him. We have to decide to follow him. With every disciple that Jesus encountered, he said, hey, come and follow me. Every single one of them had a choice. Am I going to follow Jesus or am I going to stay? Got to make a decision. Bow your heads. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to connect with us or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com.